Our message this morning is from Hebrews chapter 11, and we are going to focus on verse 4. I was going to go through verse 5, but decided that next week is our anniversary Sunday, and I decided that verse 5 was very appropriate for next Sunday. After going through the message this morning, you might see that verse 4 is also appropriate. And so we're going to have a two-Sunday anniversary. So part one is today and part two is next week. All right, so we're going to have sort of like a birthday. Some people have a birthday and some people have a birth month, right? I never got a birth month. It was always the birth hour or something like that. Anyway, that's another story. Um, but we're going, to, uh, we're going to begin celebrating by reading through verse four. I'm going to start in verse one, and I'm going to go through verse four. And what we're going to be looking at is two things today. What I want us to look at are two things as we're reading through this, and we're going to jump back to Genesis chapter 4 as well. We're going to be looking at the life of Abel, which honestly we don't know much about. We don't know, we don't know much about Abel, uh, Adam and Eve's youngest of their first two sons, uh, and we're going to study a little bit about his life and about his legacy. And the two things that we're going to pull out from this passage today that I, that I find uh, crucial is number one is that we cannot have biblical worship without biblical faith. That's number one. And then number two is looking at how important it is that we leave a biblical legacy. And we're going to see how Abel has done that through his very brief life. So beginning in verse 1 of chapter 11 of Hebrews, and we read the first three verses last week, so today we're going to focus on verse 4. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen, for by this our ancestors were approved. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was made, made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. Let's pray. Father, may we bring to you this morning appropriate worship, as Abel did. Father, I pray that you would approve it, that you'd be blessed by it, and that we would be encouraged to continue to grow in faith and adoration of you and your Son being led by the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning's message is entitled, Biblical Faith Leads to Biblical Worship, but I could have just as easily entitled this, The Legacy of Faith. But the truth is, if you read through uh, Hebrews 11, the entire chapter is dedicated to a legacy of faith. It just so happens, though, in verse 4, the author specifically mentions, uh, in some ways, a legacy of faith. Now, let, let's look back at uh, Abel, this character in Scripture, and I want to give you just just a reminder of where we've been. So God created all things in, 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 se in six days, and the seventh day he rested, and on that sixth day he creates Adam and Eve. Now let's look at the, let's look at the legacy of Adam and Eve, okay? And so God creates them, puts them in the middle of this beautiful, perfect paradise, and basically gives them everything. I mean, blesses them with everything and prohibits them from only doing one thing, from eating from this one tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? So it's the only thing that God prohibits them from doing. And what is the legacy of Adam and Eve? And we'll talk specifically of Adam here because that's where we see this lineage going through. What's, what's his legacy? Being, having the introduction of sin. 
I mean, that is his legacy. Even if we, as we look all the way through the New Testament, we see that Adam is, is, has, it's, there's the birthplace of sin in that one act of transgression, in that one act of disobedience, right? And so there we have sin, there we have their eyes being opened, there we have shame being introduced, there we have God casting man out of the garden, which is metaphorically and literally speaking out of his presence, right? And then we have the death of the first creature, right? We have God actually killing animals in order to provide skins to cover their shame, which was not in existence before Adam's legacy of sin began. And then what we have is we have Adam and Eve coming together to give birth to two sons. Now, I'm going to read this passage from Genesis 4 to kind of get the full effect. And I want you to see what a legacy does, what this impact does. It says, the man was intimate, this is starting in verse 1, the man was intimate with his wife Eve. And she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became, became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. Now let me pause just for one second. So this is point one. This is the background. I need to set the stage here. We do not know much about Abel. We actually know more about Cain, right? So here's what we know. We know that Adam and Eve, primarily Adam is where original sin is born through, they sin. They are cast out of the garden, but God does not eliminate them immediately and start over, all right? He actually uh, provides for them. He provides for them uh, clothing, if you will, to cover their shame, and he allows them or blesses them with the opportunity to continue to live even if outside of his presence. And so they give birth to Cain and Abel. And what we know of Cain is that he works the ground. And we know of Abel that he works with the flocks, okay, with the domesticated animals. Now, folks, let me begin by saying this. There is no shame... Uh, written between the two individuals because of their choice of work, all right? So there is nothing, we're just detailed, we're, we're giving a little bit of background, we're given a little bit of background here on where they work so that we know where their offering is coming from, okay? So that's what we know, and that's important. It's important that we grasp that. Let's continue. So she also gave birth to his brother Abel, the younger brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. So here, right in the beginning, we have a sacrifice. We have an act of worship. So Cain is acting in worship here by offering some of the land's produce. That's what we read. We, we really don't know anything more than that just yet. In verse 4, and Abel also presented an offering. So here comes Abel, possibly following his brother's example, is at least in an act of worship. And it says, he presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious and, the, and he looked despondent. Now we're going to talk a little bit more about this later because at this point, the truth is we really don't know what the issue is. At this point, just by reading through these first four verses of chapter four, we don't know really what the issue is. We know that Cain offered some of what he had access to, okay? So the offering of produce or whatever he was offering, the crop, okay, that crop, that wasn't the issue here, okay? In fact, we see throughout the Scripture where it is considered to be a holy thing to offer from your crop, all right? If that's what you have, if that's what you've been given, then that's what you offer. In our day, we don't offer crop to the Lord, we offer our money, because that's the commodity that we work through. Abel, on the other hand, offered 
his livestock. Why? Because that was his commodity that he worked with. So in a sense, we, we don't know much here. What we do know is this, is that the Lord looked favorably on Abel and had something to do with what he offered, but it likely had something, there was something more going on there that's not revealed to us yet. Yet Cain, he did not look favorably on. And so, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious and looked despondent. So notice that about Cain. So Cain brings to the Lord his offering. The Lord does not approve of the offering. And rather than an act of faith and repentance, what does Cain do? He lashes out at the Lord and he becomes furious at God likely furious at his brother, and then he becomes despondent, okay? Despondent, that, that, that word means to me, I don't know what you all think of despondent, but despondent means to me like almost a, a, a fury, a worry, an anxiety, all of that stuff mixed together, right? It has just messed up his world that God did not approve of his act of worship. Verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, I love this because God has a knack for calling people out. Why are you furious? Why are you furious? And why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So God, whereas Cain is furious at this lack of disappro- or at this disapproval from God, Cain is furious, almost as if he's blaming God in some sense. What does God do? He throws it right back at him. He said, "Listen, if you do what is right, you'll be approved. You don't have, there's no need to be furious at me. You're the one that did it. Isn't that the, isn't that kind of the way it goes in our lives? We sin, we get called on it, so there's consequences to that sin, and then what do we do? Oftentimes, we get mad at somebody else other than us. Well, it's not my fault, right? And so we get mad at somebody else instead of just owning up to it. That is, that is my sin. One of, the first, one of the first steps of repentance is acknowledging that it's your sin, not somebody else's. One of the first acts of contrition to the Lord is recognizing that we have transgressed. We are at fault. That it's us that needs to change, not God. That it's us that needs to change. That it's us that needs to turn from sin. And if we can't do that, if we can't come to that reality, then there is no repentance. You have to first acknowledge acknowledge that starting place. There is sin and it is mine. I own up to this. You know, when we sin with our neighbor or our friend or a family member, all right, and we sometimes apologize, all right, and you'll hear somebody apologize, we always, I, 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 I cringe when somebody comes up to, and by the way, an apology does not equal repentance, but we're, we're kind of talking about contrition here, so just flow with me. When we apologize, don't you just love it when somebody says, you know, I'm sorry for what I did or what I said. And then they follow that statement up with a what? But, folks, that's not an apology. That is saying, I, I acknowledge that I did something wrong here, but I did it out of the response of something you did wrong. And so that's what Cain's, Cain is furious here. Cain is furious. Cain knows why he messed up. Cain knows. We don't know the whole story here, but Cain knows, all right? And God is just throwing it back on him, saying, don't be furious at me. You know what you did. If you act right, won't you be approved? And then he says, if you don't, sin is crouching at your door. So God is giving Cain an opportunity to repent, is he not? 
Is that not a blessing that God even provides us an opportunity to repent? He provides us an opportunity. God is not, we, God is arms is not being twisted here, okay? God does not have to feel obligated to give us an opportunity to repent. He just does. Folks, that's mercy. That is mercy. That's what happens. Now, we would love this story if Cain just fell on his face and began to worship. If he just fell on his face and said, God, forgive me. Forgive me. Verse 8. Cain said to his brother, Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were there in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and killed him. Folks, this wasn't accidental. This was premeditated murder. Let's go out to the field. God says sin is crouching at your door. And instead of repenting, what does Cain do? He acts on his anger, his, excuse me, his fury, and he responds not in repentance but in sin. And he kills his brother Abel. Now as a parent, as a parent, there is nothing, nothing that we hate more to see that our children fall into trouble. We, we hate to see that. What's even worse is to see that our children fall into trouble because they were following our precedent or they were following something that, that we kind of led them into, if you will. I mean, it just breaks us breaks us. You know what I'm talking about with this. We could come up with multiple scenarios where that might be happening. What is Adam's legacy here? His legacy is that the very first progeny that he has, what does he do? He kills his brother. He commits murder. The consequences of Adam's sin are on full display immediately. Immediately. Abel's dead. Verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? Not because God doesn't know. He's calling him out. He's, calling, he's making him admit. Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? He doesn't even admit to the murder. He's now lying to God. All right, He's now lying to God. Lying to the creator of the universe who knows our every thought. I don't know. You know exactly what that sounds like when you talk to one of your kids or a younger kid. It's like, what happened? I don't know. I have no idea how that lamp fell on the floor and broke. I have no idea where all the Oreo cookies went. I have no idea. All right? I, I don't know, honey. I don't know who ate the last fajita. All right? I mean, seriously, lying to God. Lying to God. He replied, am I my brother's guardian? Now he's getting sassy with God. Verse 10, then he said, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And the rest of the story is this, is that Cain is then cursed. God doesn't eliminate him, right? He makes him live in it. He makes him live in his sin. Live with the fact that he has just uh, transgressed against God, transgressed against his brother, and now he has to live in this. And not only is Cain cursed, but others will be cursed for putting Cain out of his misery. Right? Folks, that's a curse. That's a curse. So that's where we are. That's the background. Now what we're going to do is we're going to jump back over to Hebrews. Okay, we're going to jump back over to Hebrews, and I want to investigate this just a little bit 
uh, and fairly quickly this morning. I'm keeping track of the time because I would love to talk about this more, but um, we've got a limited amount of time. So I want to talk about, we're going to mention a, a few things here. Number one, I want us to look at the two sacrifices just to kind of get an idea of what might be going on there, okay? And then what we're going to look at is we're going to look at biblical worship as an outpouring of biblical faith. And then finally, finally I want to look at what a legacy of faith. So let's move quickly here. What are these two uh, sacrifices? The first one is this, is it sa- says that Cain su- uh, provided or offered some of the land's produce. Now, we may look right over that and just skim over that, that, that Cain offered some of what he had, right? I offered some of what he had. Well, let's relate that to what Abel offered. Abel offered some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions, okay? So here's the deal. Abel offers the firstborn. It's a blood sacrifice, Now, some individuals will go even deeper into that, saying this was the first sacrificial offering, that blood is the, uh, there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. All that's true. We see that from Hebrews 9. Every bit of that's true. I personally don't think that's what's happening here. I don't think that God was making a distinction between a blood offering and a crop offering. And here's why. It's because Cain was offering what he had. Abel was offering what he had. The difference lies into the quality of that offering. What does Abel offer? The firstborn. Here's my flock, and here's the very, the very first of what I give. I'm giving it to God. Because I know that I would not have this if it was not for my God. And so I'm giving my firstborn and the fat of this. It's all to you, God. And here's where the faith comes in. I'm giving you the firstborn, all right? I don't know what my flock's going to look like after this, but I am trusting and having faith that I'm just going to give it to you and that you are going to sustain me. And we see here with Cain that he just gives some of the land's produce. I uh, I don't think that's accidental. So Cain just gives some. Might have been his first crop, likely not. It was probably just some. He probably calculated it out and just kind of handed it over, right? I don't think it's in the amount I think it's in the faith that came from giving it, where that came from, right? Cain was giving out of almost this obligation. Abel was giving out of faith, right? Let me put it in our terms. You have somebody, upper middle class, upper class, that gives a significant portion or significant offering to the church, all right? A significant, by all of our standards, If we saw the amount, we'd say, man, I can't even begin to give that, all right? And what we think in our culture is we think, man, they must be faithful. They must be faithful. When in reality, they were giving leftovers. They're just giving leftovers. They did all this other stuff with their cash, and whatever they had left over, I'll give you a percentage of that. Folks, that's not faith. Now, we're thankful for it. We will take it, and God will use even that. But that's not really an act of worship. That's more of a head nod. But then you have the individual, all right, who lives check to check. Maybe because of bad budgeting, maybe just because that's their life. They live check to check but they give out of an abundance of faith what they and it's not leftover it's the first thing it's like we are going to wrap our budget around this giving folks this isn't a tithing sermon this is a sermon about faith this is a sermon about worship but you see the you see the difference between those two one is sort of a head nod we're going to give this because this is what we do the other is we are giving you off the top what we have. We don't know what's coming after. We're going to have to sacrifice in order to make everything else, you know, work out, but we're going to give this to you. That's money. Let's talk about time. Let's talk about time. We're going to attend corporate worship when we have time. We're going to attend corporate worship when we have time. You see what we say there? Most people would applaud that. When they have time, they're going to attend corporate worship. But you see the nuance there? 
their worship is being dictated about around the time that they spend in other endeavors. Let me say this. Let me twist around. We are going to attend corporate worship. And we're going to go to that ball game, or we're going to go to that movie, or we're going to go do this, or we're going to go do that if we have time. But we are committing our time, and we're committing our finances. We're committing all of that to God first, and then everything else is secondary. Do we see the difference there? Do we see the difference? Now, some of you are saying, you are stepping on my toes this morning. I'm stepping on my own, okay? I, I want you to know that, okay? I, I'm not an act of perfection in this by any means. But I think that's what we see in some part. We do not bring our leftovers to God. God does not ask for our leftovers. He asks for the abundance of what he has given up to us right back at him. And here's the thing about the gospel. The gospel isn't about leftovers at all. The gospel means that God has given you everything, then we give it back. Even what we would consider to be our extra stuff, that ball game, the work, whatever it might be, that entertainment, even that is given to God. That's why even our entertainment should be dictated by our faith. We're not going to do that because that would not honor God. It might be fun, but that's not going to honor God. So Cain offered some of the land's produce, but Abel offered the firstborn. Now let's look at God's response. To Abel, the Lord had regard for Abel's offering. He had regard for Abel's offering. Now listen to this, to Cain. But he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. See that little nuance there? See, God had regard for for Abel's offering. What does that mean? It means that God had regard for Abel. But in this case with Cain, God did not have regard for Cain and his offering. It is not ultimately about the offering. It was what was going on with Cain. The offering was one thing. That's, That's a totally different thing. God was looking into the hearts of these two men and saying, I have regard for Abel because of his faith, for his orientation to me, for his relationship with me. I do not have regard for Cain, though. The offering is just a, the offering is just a symbol of what's going on in here. It's just a symbol. He gives 15 sheep, he gives one sheep. Regard does not matter. It's what's here. Where is this offering coming from? Where is this offering coming from? And so those are the differences between those two sacrifices. Now, what I want us to look at, as I want to look at more of the, of the spiritual connection here, let's read again from chapter 11 of Hebrews in verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to Cain a better sacrifice than Cain. Did I say? Uh, sorry, sorry. Uh, scratch that. Uh, voice over, Timmy. Uh, there you go. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. So Abel was offering to God by faith. We see it right there. So the offering is the act of worship, and he offered it by his faith. The faith is what the most important thing is. Let's talk about worship real quick. When I was in college, I studied world religion. My, my second major was religious studies, and I really did that as sort of like a cool down from all my biochemistry stuff, but I turned out to loving it. And so I took this world religions class, and one of the things that we talked about is that everybody worships. Every, we were created to worship. So everybody, the Christian, the Muslim, the Jew, the atheist, the agnostic, everybody worships. Worship is not unique to humanity. That's not what's unique. What is unique is the is to whom that worship is directed, or in some cases, to what. All right? So the Muslim is worshiping, the Jewish person is worshiping, the nominal Christian is worshiping, the Buddhist is worshiping, the atheist that says there is no God and I don't worship is worshiping, usually themselves or Stephen Hawking, one of the two, okay? They're worshiping. But to whom are they worshiping? 
What is the object of that worship? And I will contend from Scripture that you cannot have biblical worship, worship that is approved and recognized and blessed by God, unless you have biblical faith. Some would say that the non-Christian that attends our church service is worshiping right alongside. I'd say they're worshiping, but they're not worshiping God Almighty. Because you cannot worship outside of faith. There must be faith. My uh, uncle, I, I, I posted some sort of snippy coffee cup uh, thing on Facebook, and my uncle Tony, who lives in Virginia, uh, he sometimes will reply, and he replied with this. I think he said amen or something like this, and he reminded me of this passage, and it's John chapter 4, verse 24. Some of you all will note it immediately. It says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in what? Spirit and in truth. God is spirit, and if you were going to worship our God, how do we worship? In spirit and in truth. Folks, that is by faith. We are worshiping by faith. That's what biblical worship is. It's an outpouring of biblical faith. And I'm not talking about nominal Christianity faith, where our, where our worship is dictated by the number of times that we attend service. That's not it. All right? It's about our object and our relationship to that object, our adoration of that God that we worship. That's, that's the faith that we're talking about here. That's the worship that we're talking about. Abel's sacrifice was approved. His offering was approved, not because of the excellence of his offering. I want to be, I want to be clear about that. But because of the adoring faith that it demonstrated. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts, and though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. It's about faith. The gifts were just a symbol of that. It was just a symbol of that. Cain's sacrifice was not approved. Not because of the deficiency of his offering, but because of the deficiency of the faith that it demonstrated. And this is why you can have someone who owns one acre worshiping right along somebody who owns a thousand acres, but they are giving out of the abundance of faith that they have been gifted to. And God will look with a blessed smile upon both. Not because of the status in the culture, but because of their position in Christ. Rich, poor, male, female, does not matter what ethnic, uh, ethnic background is, racial background, what, uh, what status you have in the community. God is not looking at any of that. He is looking at our heart. He is looking at our faith, which He has gifted to us. Now here's something. Can we grow our faith? Well, not without God. Not without God. But I believe that we can have our faith nurtured and that we participate in that. We nurture our faith. Sort of like growing a plant. I'm a really bad gardener. My wife is very good. I'm very bad, meaning that you could plant the easiest thing in the world to grow, and I will find a way to kill it. I will. I'll find a way. And if it's not dead by fall, I will mow over it. Kid you not. Kid you not. We may have a squat. Folks, you can plant zucchini in our yard on top of a rock, and it will grow. And I will find a way to mow over it. I do. I cannot garden anything. Our faith is sort of like a plant. Plants need nurturing. They need watering. They need sunlight. They need nutrients. They need all of these things. Our faith is the same way. God gives that to us, but He expects us to nurture it, all right, through the reading of His Word, through the nurturing of like-minded believers that we corporately worship with, right? Through prayer, 
through meditation, through all of these things, God has given us as resources to nurture that faith that we might grow and that we might experience more fully His love and His His um, His love and His uh, working for us. And so, what I finally want to talk about is our legacy, because this is sort of where the rubber meets the road with us. And so, let's just read that line again, real quick. It says, by faith he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. Remember that line in Genesis where it talks about that his blood was just screaming out from the ground, right? That, that Abel's blood was just screaming out to God, right? It was just so obvious. Well, likewise, Abel's faith is still calling out to us. Abel's faith is now everyone in this. All right, is calling out every individual that is mentioned in this passage is demonstrating a legacy of faith. But in this verse, the author mentions it. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through faith. It's talking about Abel's legacy of faith that others might uh, appropriate in their own lives and follow his examples. We don't know much about Abel. We know very little about Abel. But what we do know is this is that he was faithful and that he gave an, out of an abundance of that faith. He gave everything that he had. And what we also realize from that passage is this. The world can't stand it. The world can't stand it. Cain was furious at God for approving Abel but not approving himself. Well, Cain can't kill God, so what does he do? He kills Abel lashes out, and that's what the world does. The world, if, if, the, if you are hunky-dory in this world, all right, I'm not talking about this glorious God-sanctified world. I'm talking about the world of sin. If you are living hunky-dory and stuff like that, you're not offending too many people outside of the faith. But if you are living and walking by faith, following Christ, folks, you are going to be called out. You are going to be maligned. We are seeing that in this season more than ever. Christians actually standing on what they believe and then being maligned for it. They're just being maligned oftentimes by cowards, but that's what we're seeing. And folks, that's piddly stuff. And We've already talked about what happens overseas. How important is it that we leave a legacy of faith? So let me finish up by this, and just as an, as an example. This past Wednesday, I was not here because uh, me and my father, uh, and thank you, Christy, for leading Wednesday. I didn't even talk to you about Wednesday. I'm assuming that it went well. Um, it usually does. Uh, me and my father traveled to Indiana uh, because uh, my great aunt and my dad's aunt uh, passed away quite suddenly, actually. She went, we, we prayed about this. She went to the hospital on Sunday. And then she, uh, or she went in the hospital a few days before, and then she died on, was it Sunday that she passed away? Um, anyway, so she, she passed away. And so we went up there on Wednesday to, um, uh, to the funeral. We served as pallbearers. And one of the things that was very noticeable in that, now I, of, of all my aunts and uncles, uh, this aunt and uncle, I, was, I, I knew we spent a lot of time with them especially of my great aunts and uncles, we spent a lot of time with them. We knew them very well. And one of the things that was very clear about my aunt is that she was very uh, committed to the Lord. She loved the Lord. Uh, now, I will be the first person to say that my theology and her theology uh, kind of butted heads, kind of butted heads. So what did we agree on? That we both love Jesus. That's true, okay? Now, we didn't agree on the same things. We're not going to listen to the same sermons. We're probably not going to sing the same songs. All right, but we serve the same God. All right, and I can say that about a lot of folks. All right, she loved Jesus. And one of the things that was apparent through that funeral is that one thing that she was leaving behind was a legacy of faith. That there was not one person that was coming in contact with. Did she have her flaws? Sure, everybody has her flaws. But the one thing that people were not going to be able to leave there without was this that she loved Jesus. She loved Jesus. And I can attest to that. 
One of the great things that I saw, that I experienced during that funeral, and I'm not an emotional person at the funeral, but one of the things I loved seeing was the fact that the aunt that I saw and that I knew and that I spoke with and that I got to laughing so hard she couldn't breathe, all right, and that aunt that loved Jesus that way was the same person even when I wasn't there in church. She played the piano her entire life for the church. All those sorts of things, that people saw those same things. Her two daughters, all of her grandchildren, know one very specific thing about her, that she loved Christ, and that currently she is in the arms of Christ. The legacy that we leave is crucial. Legacies matter. They matter for what we leave our children, for what we leave our grandchildren, for what we leave our friends, our relatives. They matter. And we see from Adam that a poor legacy can do what? It can breed more poor legacies. We have a great impact. Now, here is the beautiful thing. Until the Lord calls you home, you are not done with that legacy building. You are not done. And folks, people are watching you. People are watching you. You might say, I've gone through my, my children are grown. My grandkids are grown. My legacy is kind of seared in stone. No, it's not. No, it's not. You may say, I don't have kids. There's not really anybody to leave a legacy. Baloney. Baloney. If you were not on an island by yourself, you have a legacy to leave and a legacy to, to impact individuals. And what we have to determine, is that going to be a legacy of faith? Or is that going to be a legacy of selfishness and sin that we see from Cain? No one looks at Cain in Scripture and says, now there was a sharp young man. He had his faults, but you know he turned it around. He was cursed. He was cursed. And Abel, what very little, we, we know more about Cain than we do about Abel, but what we know about Abel causes us to delight. Next week, we're going to talk about Enoch. Now, there's a legacy. We know very little, we know less about him than we do about Abel. But he walked with the Lord. He walked with the Lord. So you might say this, how do I leave a legacy? How do I leave a legacy? I'm going to pick on my wife real quick. Here is a legacy that she will leave is that I know almost every day during the week that I get up, that I can go into the living room and she will be praying for me and my two boys and their spouses. Believe it or not, they're not married yet. She's, she's praying for them ahead of time. She's praying for my parents. She's praying for her parents. She's praying for you all. Now, she can tell me that she does that, or I can see it happening, and that's what I see. That image is seared in my mind of her curled up in that chair with that dog that she has trained not to like me. It won't sit next to me, but it'll sit next to her. I'm the one that feeds it, treats. That image is seared in my mind. You've heard of other individuals, when they eulogize their parents or their grandparents, they will say, I remember my father or my grandfather going back in his study, and when I opened the door, he'd be on his knees in tears praying. Out loud, not just in this, but out loud praying. Some of you all have those same legacies come before you that you could look back on your parents or grandparents and say, man, that was my, that was my mom, that was my dad, that was my grandparent, that was somebody else. And they left a legacy of that. How do we leave legacies with our children? Folks, let me just tell you this. You're going to mess up. 
you're going to mess up with your kids. I've messed up with that one. I've messed up with that one back there. And they're going to remember that. My prayer is that they will also remember how often that I went and I prayed with them in the evening. How often I apologized to them when I messed up. Lucas, I'm going to pick on Lucas now. Lucas will tell you, he knows this, he may not admit it, but he'll, he will tell you this. I've told him more than once, I do not care what he does when he grows up. If he's a doctor, a writer, an actor, a singer, I, I don't care. I told him not to embarrass me, but I told him I don't care what he does. I don't care if he's wealthy. I don't care if he's poor. I care that he honors the Lord with his life. That's what I care. I hope he remembers that. Your kids, your friends, your grandchildren don't need to simply hear you say that you pray. They need to see it. Your children, your grandchildren, your friends don't simply need to hear that you read the Bible. They need to see you doing it. Your kids, your grandchildren, your friends don't, near, don't, don't just need to hear that you come to Sunday morning church. They need to see you singing and worshiping. These kids back here, one of the reasons why we have them go out after the music, it's not just so they can get some entertainment and to save Toya an extra half hour. That's not why. That's beneficial. That's not why. It's so that they can see you all singing See, when you are worshiping, when you're lifting your voices to the Lord, it's not just worshiping God our Father. You are demonstrating how people who love Jesus sing. So I beg you, sing, not just for yourself and not just for God, but for those little ones. I can tell you of old men, as I was growing up, who would sing at the top of their lungs and when I was a kid and immature, what would I say? That dude can't sing. What do I think of now that I'm in my 40s? Praise God that that guy sang. Your kids, your grandchildren, your friends, your family need to see you committed to a body of Christ. Not just lackadaisical, but that you are committed to that family that I'm going to pour, that God has given me. Remember, your church is a gift. Your church is, see, people that skip around and do all this kind of stuff, all right, they miss the fact that the church family is a gift. It's not just an experience, it's a gift that we have been blessed with and that we've been called to commit ourselves to. To die for, if necessary. And our legacy is left by how we entertain that. How we apply that. And every bit of this was purchased through the blood of Christ. Through the blood of Christ. You will, you will hear me in a funeral. I'm a, this is going to sound weird. I think I've said it before. I'm just going to tell you. I do not like preaching at weddings. I don't like it. Because 99% the wedding isn't about God. It's about the bride. Praise the Lord that there's a bride. But it's not about the bride. That wedding is a picture of Christ and His church. So I don't like preaching weddings because no matter how hard I preach, I can't turn that one around. Because really, nobody's listening to me. They're looking at that long, flowing white dress. And they're waiting for one of the groomsmen to fall over, or the flower boy, or the ring bearer, or whatever, to pee on himself. That's what they're waiting on, okay? They're waiting on the humor. Folks, I'm going to tell you, and this sounds weird, it may sound morbid. I love the opportunity to preach a funeral. Especially the funeral of a believer. Because I'm not going to spend 30 minutes eulogizing that person in the casket, because if they're a believer, they're with the Lord. I don't need to do that. I'm going to spend that 30 minutes proclaiming Christ. 
Why do I have the confidence that that body contained a spirit that is now with Christ? Because they love Jesus. And that's who I'm going to preach about. That's who I'm going to preach about. And I love it. I love doing it. I hate that there's grief. I hate that there's mourning. I really do. All right. I know that people are hurting. And I feel for that. I really, really do. But I'm sitting here thinking to myself, what is the most important thing here? That the individuals in this congregation hear the legacy of the individual in that, you know, all the funny stories. Those are important. We want to mention those. All right. We are remembering that individual. But what's most important is remembering Christ. Remembering Christ who purchased that individual. And that legacy will live on. Legacies matter. Don't look at them flippantly. And you still have time. If you are breathing today, you still have time to build that legacy. Final thought, 30 seconds. Donna, I'll pick on just for one second, okay? I'm thinking of Tubby. Tubby was building his legacy in the hospital bed. In the hospital bed, he was building his legacy. Because even though he was dying, Everyone realized that he had died to sin a long time ago. And he was just looking forward to being in the arms of his Savior. He was not fearing it. If, you can, if it's possible to die with Christian dignity, Tubby did that. And I'm sure others can, can attest to that same thing. That individual who is born again in that hospital bed, who has committed their entire life to Jesus and chooses, instead of mourning their current predicament, is relishing the fact that they are soon going to be in the arms of their Savior. They might be afraid. They might be fearful. But they are still bearing out that legacy in that moment. May we all have the legacy of Abel. May we all have the legacy of Enoch and Abraham and Noah. Imperfect people. Imperfect people, but still demonstrating faith.